Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Michael Lovato, who you may know as the voice of Iron Man Live. He was a pro triathlete for 15 years, where he was top 10 in Kona three times. Besides being a commentator for Iron Man, he is also a well-respected triathlon coach at Lovato Performance Coaching. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you know, we're both in Boulder, uh, so I'd rather be doing this in person, but these are strange times. So thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to chat with you. And yeah, I, I certainly would. You know, I think you and I are both social guys. We'd, we'd love to be in that uh, super awesome Trading Peak studio doing this or or even in just enjoying a coffee together. But these are the times we're in and I'm, I'm psyched that we can still do all this stuff virtually. Yeah, everybody's going to virtual now, obviously. And I think you've uh, experienced a lot of those changes. So it's going to be kind of fun to talk about and see um, how things are different in your life. So how are you and your family doing? Uh, you got two kids. How's homeschooling going? Yeah, great question. The The two kids, uh, two and a half and six and a half. So Valentine and Zane, Valentine, six and a half. And she's in kindergarten. Well, she, she's sort of at the end of her kindergarten year. And she's she's the one who gets the schooling programming designed around her. And, and Zane is my preschooler would be. And he's he's not even in preschool yet or wasn't. But he he's a tag along. So uh, I have to be honest, Dirk. I love it. It's it's like I'm a, I'm sort of in rare in a, I'm a rare breed there. I I really enjoy uh, the challenge of it. I really enjoy the fun of it, and I, I enjoy being with my kids. So it's it's been kind of awesome uh, when I'm in that little environment and I tune out what's going on outside. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, you have you have to take uh, advantage of the time, you know, now with the family. Um, so you typically. Uh, would be traveling to Ironman events. I, I I suspect you. A lot of people may know your voice. They've if they've tuned into Ironman Live at all, especially for Kona. You know you're on there with with Welchie, Greg Welch, and uh, doing some long days. Uh, so how long have you been? How long have you been doing uh, Kona Live? Uh, I started Kona in in thirteen twenty thirteen. Uh, as far as commentary goes, I, I raced it up till 2012. My daughter was born in 2013 and I did not race it that year. I did commentary. And, uh, so that's, you know, this would, hopefully this will be uh, year eight, uh, consecutively. And, and, you know, I, I actually did a bunch of commentary through my racing career off and on, uh, just never Kona. So that was probably starting in about Oh six. Uh, so here and there, it's been a lot of years, but Kona, the last uh, eight. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, are you doing it for, what, nine <laughs> hours straight? You know, that that's, yeah. And I, I'd i say, obviously, on the sh- on the faster races, and Kona is fast because the competition's good, we get done in about nine, nine and a half hours with the pre-show. It's a lot of talking, but I think no one ever accused me of having nothing to say. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so the, the talking is is the easy part. The content tends to be easier part for me. Naturally, the sitting 
and and uh, and trying to not need uh, that many breaks from a bathroom or food standpoint, those are the challenges. Yeah. And you, you guys are always trying to piece things together. You, you don't always have a clear picture of what's going on out there. I had the privilege once of being on one of the lead motorcycles and I was texting back to the booth, you know, time gaps and who just had a flat, et cetera. So you guys are taking in information from all over and trying to interpret it. So yeah, it's, it's definitely great to hear you on that. Definitely keeps the show alive and uh, you do a great job. And now you're doing some marathons too. Is that right? Yes. And thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a rock and roll marathon and rock and roll half marathon series. We started that a little bit of a, a dabble in it last year, uh, but now all our stuff runs on Facebook and, and the Ironman group owns rock and roll. So with, with that opportunity, they brought me and, and a couple people in to do a little live show on a half marathon. And it can be, I say little, it's still four hours. I know Alan Culpepper felt like it was a long day and I was kind of chuckling because it was over before I knew it. Right. But it's neat, Dirk, because it's a totally different market that we're, that we're speaking to and it's a totally different race that we're speaking about. So uh, it's it's pretty fun and it's it's a cool series that has all this great music and great, great vibe, great energy. And we we've had all those races canceled and they haven't started and gone virtual yet, but it it is a cool, uh, cool job, that commentary gig. Yeah. I mean, I think this is inevitable, you know, taking uh, race coverage to the web in a way is better. I mean, I, I absolutely hate commercials every five minutes during TV coverage, you know, and we get so much more of a behind the scenes look. Um, and full coverage, you know, of these events. So I, I definitely think that was that was inevitable. Do you see any other, I don't know, exciting things happening around the online coverage or, you know, things you want to experiment with around technology or new data flows? Anything? I think, yeah, good. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you know, the cycling world very well and better than I, and you know that they do a super job on TV. Of course, the, here's the trade-off. If you want all, if you want all that super awesome stuff, like all the data, the heart rate data, the power data live on your screen and and that a little bit more in-depth information coming to you, you, it costs money. And that's why those, those TV broadcasts have the, the advertisements that nobody enjoys. But so, so there's a trade-off. I think it'd be awesome. I think it will be awesome when eventually our pros in the sport uh, start having their data pop up on screens. We start seeing it. We can speak to their power output, the files live. You, you at Training Peaks, when you guys would come in and, and analyze data with us and best bike split, we'd predict those times. All that stuff was as as techy as we often get. And and outside of that, it was estimates. So. For me, I think eventually we'll see that we we go in and out of having partners that will provide data, but it's you know it's a it's a costly endeavor. So hopefully that comes out, Dirk, because it'd be cool to see it'd be cool to see that data, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, now we're in the world of virtual racing, and we are seeing almost data. In, you know, we're just inundated with it. Somehow you have to in, or, interpret it. So. So, so this this past week uh, was kind of a first of its kind event. Tell us more about the Ironman VR racing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, last weekend was VR1, the virtual race one. And this weekend, starting tomorrow, is virtual race two. And it's it, it evolved so fast and it came about so fast. Obviously, we had the calendar laid out to cover all these actual Ironmans around the world. 
And we all we do all that remotely anyway. So a little heads up, most every show, not every show, but most every show I do from Boulder in a studio with an incredible crew of people at Boulder County Communications. They're, so, so they're really like, they know how to produce shows when we're not there. So, so they and Iron Man just put together this amazing way to, to bring virtual racing to our age group and pro athletes all over the world. And it, as I said, it evolved so fast. At one point, we were going to do a one-on-one professional challenge, one man against one man and then one woman against another woman. But with the social distancing and the stay-at-home orders in Colorado and around the world, we went to, we went to even more of an extreme where it's now four athletes on, on a pro standpoint mm-hmm. racing one another from their own home pain cave or training center and uh, some more advanced than others. But so four four women on Saturday, four men on Sunday, and uh, Dee Dee Griesbauer and I, we watch from Skype, and they get on Ruby, the online platform, and they just, to your point, they're, they're on a trainer. We get more coverage. We get to see them more often than we would on an Ironman. We're watching their cadence, their form. Uh, we talk to them at times. We see their watts per kilogram. We see their watt their current watt output if they are if they are the highlight lead athlete it's it's really super super awesome to people that are big fans of the sport it's super inspiring if you're training indoors and i can see dirk it'd be pretty boring if you're used to watching like uh you know premier league soccer or or nfl it's it's not that kind of exciting i don't know it's a different kind of exciting. you know I, I i watched the first one and i was really intrigued and what i really enjoyed was seeing the at home pain caves, the basements, the garages, yeah. you know, and see, and that was a part of the personality of that athlete that you, you never otherwise get. You only see their, their game face, you know, in Kona or wherever it might be. So, I, you know, I enjoyed yeah. seeing, literally seeing the video of those athletes and that blew me away because I was just expecting, you know, dot racing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And that's, and that's, you know what, that's been some of the feedback from our viewers uh, where, and, and to be, to be honest, it's been, it's been a fun thing to see. Everybody says, oh my gosh, there's, you know, Marinda Carfrey's daughter on the, on camera. That happens to me all the time where she strolls in Joe Gamble's son popped his head in the camera and wanted to be a part of the show. And that then, you know, to the extreme where Tim O'Donnell accidentally unplugged Marinda's trainer, uh, the husband yeah. wife duo, if you're not, that was amazing. Sport, I'm sure most of you do. Right. And so, but all that stuff, it's so real and you can see, gosh, their setup is super tech savvy and, and maybe, you know, super awesome and two screens and all these treadmills and, and trainers. And, and then others of us are watching someone in the living room and, and that's, you know, Jeannie Seymour and Justin, they're, they're in the living room and that's mo- most of us or sent many of us that just, that pop it up and take it down. And so it's, I agree with you. It was super cool to see very relatable. Yeah. So is it here to stay? I mean, if we were, you know, fingers crossed, we are going to get back to what we know as normal or, you know, normal racing. Uh, is this virtual racing here to, here to stay? It is. And I don't, I don't have a direct line to the Ironman head office, uh, well, I have that line, but they don't let me call it very often. Um, so, but no, I did ask because I'm on the, we're trying to put these shows together. And I said, I need a placeholder in my calendar as far as if I'm doing shows. And yeah, we could be upwards of another, of two two months or eight or nine weeks straight of doing these shows and doing these races. Uh, the cool thing, and I, I'm not plugging the brand or or what they're doing 
just as as you know, I'm not like doing an ad here, but they're raising money and they're they've raised over a hundred thousand dollars for COVID relief, right. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And and they've got they have twenty thousand people racing this weekend virtually, which is wow staggering. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, it's here to stay. Yeah, definitely. People need something to focus on and kind of put you know have something to to look forward to. And so this is every weekend looking uh, forward. This going to be going to be great. You know. I, 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 I've watched F1 E, you know, F1. And now that's actually on TV. Like I think it was F1 Bahrain was actually televised, but it was virtual. Um, so it's almost inevitable. Like if you're a legit pro sport, you have an E, you know, level of it. So in a way that's really right. welcome. It kind of legitimizes a lot of, a lot of it as well. So, uh, looking forward yeah. to how that, how that develops. Um, Okay, so moving on. How about coaching wise? You know, you, you, doing all the commentary. You're also coaching. Um, it's been, obviously been tough for for athletes of all kinds. You know, walk me through the conversations you've been having with with your athletes, and now that you know races have been canceled. Yeah, great question. And the coaching is the coaching is as you know an ever evolving landscape, and it always has been. I, I started coaching in 2001 when when, when I hadn't seen, you know, it, it was, it was a super different, not only method of training, we trained differently back then. We, I certainly can, I, I don't know when everybody, you like you were in the front edge, Dirk, and you, you know, power meters and, and developing all your cool stuff that you guys did. And, and it was neat to see, but I was very, I was very traditionally old school in a Excel, you know, and do this and by feel and heart rates. And so I evolved out of that that way early or fairly early, you know, coaching methodology. And so it changed from then to the mid 2000s to the late 2000s to, or to late, you know, 2010s to now. And, and when I started going more and more full time, it's like, I feel like coaching has what people need has evolved every single year. And what people want has evolved every single year. What I want to deliver has evolved every simple single year. And so this is just one more step in that evolution and i have to be honest again i i i am embracing the change i was getting a little burned out on on my old method and the way i was going for a while um and i i have to again acknowledge that outside i recognize that this pandemic is devastating to life and and, and economy and 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 social and everything i understand it but to me to move forward i block i block it out a little bit and i focus on what i can control i focus on my attitude and internally and i preface that dirk because i want to say like my coaching i i like what i now have because it's something new it's a new challenge how do i address this group of people that that was on my typical pattern of build up and now boom we've we've changed they've all changed everyone has to change now you know, so I embrace that and, and I'm I'm interacting with people in a different way. I don't see them. My run group, we're doing it all virtually photograph wise. We're doing it like Instagrams sort of uh, wise and, and just sharing. And and I'm I'm embracing the, the, the new challenge. Nobody knows what you're supposed to do when the finish line is or the start line is moved. Nobody has a blueprint for this. So I'm saying, all right, more calls, more interaction, more check ins, more focus on recovery, I guess in some bullets, I've talked to every athlete I coach, which it's a smaller roster than it was this time last year. 
um, intentionally. But I look at my roster and I say, every one of them, I say, guys, first things first, don't get sick, don't don't tank the immune system, um, treat every hard or longer effort that you may still have with twice the respect that you did before. Like, in other words, listen to me when I say recover well, take your vitamins, take your recovery drink, take your rest, sleep, because the last thing anybody wants is to take their pastime and their and their hobby and their career for the pros and have it backfire. You know, right. we don't, if all of a sudden you go for a hard run, you come back and you, your immune system's in the, in the gutter and you pick up the virus. So, so that's the conversation. Number one, that's bullet point. Number one, um, bullet point. Number two is we almost everybody had a pretty high level of fitness building and was about ready to hit some April, March, April, May races. So it was a, it was like, in my in my version, reshift what what we're calling periodization. Like just hit the brakes and and maybe do a virtual five or ten k or virtual Ironman or something to express some fitness and get some satisfaction. But then start over. <laughs> so that's point number two. Pivot. <laughs> right. Um, and then point number three is just gosh, have have fun and take motivation because I think that I've always believed through my career and as an athlete or as a coach, this sport should be a stress reliever, not a stress adder. You know, it's, it's like, we should be able to go out there and ride the bike on the trainer outside, whatever, run, swim, stretch cords, gym to, to relieve some stress and burn off the family or the work or the COVID pandemic vibe to, to, and so keep doing that. Use that as your, your guiding light. Those are my three bullets. <laughs> yeah. So I, I heard, you know, kind of back off a bit, you know, the, obviously the intensity is not full, full tilt as it might have otherwise been for, because of immune uh, system. Mm -hmm. Same with volume. You're not really seeing, you're not all of a sudden switching to just, all right, long, slow miles now, right? It, it, no, no, no. And see, that's the hard thing is that I, I think if, if it were, you know, if it were an injury or um, a race cancellation or which we've had, like we've had race cancellations. I've, I've trained people for a race. It just didn't happen. And it got canceled right before I've trained few people for a race where the swim got canceled. I've trained people, you know, and they get injured the day before the race or sick, you know, we all have as coaches and it's not that if it were those things, you can transition to load up more of this or more of that or long, slow miles. And in this case that I think that can be a little risky because, um, I mean, you know, the audience here knows that that those deeper efforts, a six-hour bike ride, it could put your immune system at jeopardy. So, and it also, but so every athlete's different. And this is the thing that we coaches like to say, everyone is different. Every scenario is different. I spoke with a guy yesterday to use a very real point. We're going to probably take a four weekends. He's going to get out there for a long ride on one of those four because he knows he's not actually going to do an Ironman until November December or maybe not at all because that's what he's got on his calendar. That's right. so he loves long rides, but we have to temper them. Right. Um, and and so yeah, it's not just a quick fix. It's got to be analysis, athlete by athlete, and and also the 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 immune system is very individual, and the person's exposure is very individual. Um, so that all is factored in. I'm sure everyone's coaches are doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Painstaking analysis, right? How about some tips for not being able to swim now? Yeah. 
Oh, boy. Well, so taking a look across the social streams, some people have been super generous in sharing uh, good stuff. I'll reference Dave Scott, who, who I always reference as the, the best coach I've ever interacted with. He's he's a good friend and he's a good dude. But he, he shared a cool uh, Instagram post of a couple of his favorite stretch cord routines. Um, I think stretch cords are invaluable. They can also burn you out and give you some tendonitis. So you want to do them sparingly uh, a couple times a week. To, you know, start with twice a week if you've never done them, maybe three times a week. And if you're really good, you can do it every day. But 10 to 30 minutes max. I mean, 30 minutes would be a monster stretch cord session. Mm -hmm. That's including rest. Mm -hmm. uh, but stretch cords are very – it's the most specific muscle use, I think. Um, so stretch cords are really big. TRX is another body weight system that I think enables you to do some swim-like motion if you are a row, if you have a row machine or you're a rower, or if you have a Vasa swim trainer, there's all these other things that are out there that you could pick up on eBay or that you may, or wherever you buy stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you may already have them. Just use them, but just do it in moderation because there's going to be good crossover. And then I think one of the most valuable things to know is everybody that doesn't have an endless pool is going to detrain. Like if you're, everyone is going to lose a little bit of that fitness if you were swimming. Right. Um, and that's just a, that's the bottom line. Like we're all kind of in this together. 90% of us that don't have those, those little pools or, or real pools. So if you're in that category, just understand that you'll detrain. And I saw a really brilliant coach <laughs> share that with, I can't reference him because I can't remember where I saw it, but uh, saying that just Olympic swimmers that were training for the Olympics, you're, you're going to go, you know, what's going to happen. You're not putting in those, those miles. So we'll go backwards, but take that in stride and know that this is not forever. Uh, how about skills work? You know, if we, if we can, we're assuming most listeners, uh, those in Europe, you know, obviously cannot, but even, even if they can't, what about skills work? You know, are you having any discussions around bike skills, run skills, or, or just even without this pandemic, what about the, you know, the working in skills into the weekly routine? Well, pre, you know, pre pandemic skills, a lot of my people that I coach, I, I had a, I used to have I used to always have five or six elite pro athletes and, and then, and they all needed the work, but they were all resistant to do it um, because of time and, and hassle. And like, we're not short course athletes that have technical courses. So our skills were often transitions as, as getting on and off the bike, mm. getting in and out of your shoes. Um, and, and I coached a lot of up and coming professional women that that needed that help and we, they didn't love it we would do it periodically um and it i think that's something i would now it's 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 a great way for anyone that is on the trainer and didn't used to be to practice uh, you long course athletes that really stink at getting your shoes on and off mm -hmm. when you're getting do it on the trainer because guess what you're locked in if you're not on rollers so yeah practice that to where you can do it without looking down and get some skills. So then you can transfer that to outside. If you are able to go outside, go and you can go, we used to do it on the track or the turf surfaces, which, which here in Boulder are closed to public now. But if you can find a softer surface practice, those are the biggest skills we used to practice. Um, and then, and then now I, I, I can't say that I've, 
I've gone a little bit more the approach of let's let's do stuff that makes us healthy and have fun. Maybe the next obvious question is strength work. You know, is that mm-hmm. is this a time period to for you know may not be for every athlete, but are you seeing athletes where this is a a time to take advantage? Yes, and that one is great because I believe every athlete should do strength work and strength stretching mobility of some sort, all of a combination, something. And the cool thing is now you pretty much with everyone eliminate the excuse that we all validly would, you know, would use, which is don't have the time, can't get to the gym. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, That sort of goes away. It really becomes, do you want to do it? So I'm encouraging everyone to do this. If, a lot of the year, I'll say we do two times. Some of the year, we do three times a week in my normal programming. And now I'm just saying to everyone, like, give yourself three days where you give a, a focused period of time. So I personally, Dirk, might drop down on the floor at any given moment and do a bunch of push-ups and stretch and call that, call that my day's work. Uh, I'm not competing at a high level anymore, so that counts. It keeps me going. But I would say the concerted effort, like I'm going to spend time for me. I go into my garage. I have TRX hooked to my wall. I have some dumbbells and a pad. It's real basic, but I can do my maintenance strength work because I am 46 years old. I am trying to run every day or a lot of days. I am trying to be an athlete still. I do like to compete and push myself. I do like challenges. So I don't want to get injured. And I know if I don't do TRX, if I don't do some gym stuff, I know personally, I'll get hurt. So I tell everyone, put yourself a couple times, 20, 30 minutes where no one's bugging you or you get your kids involved. Amanda's got, my wife has got our two kids doing little stretch and yoga sessions mm-hmm. and it's awesome. And they, they, they can't focus the whole time, but she can mm-hmm. and they're there and it's like, do that. It's massive. It's going to be well-being. It's going to be a huge boost for you. Yeah. I noticed on your Instagram, I think you posted a TRX routine a couple days ago, right? Yeah, I, I might have. I, you know, it's just, yeah, I did. I was, I was exactly like a story. And, and I want to do, you know, that's something I'm trying to do is share stuff that, that motivates and keeps people positive. I'm going to do more of that where I can, I can actually record, you know, record a little bit more of that, what I do. Uh, because I think the more content out there, the better, not just to educate, but to put a smile on the face and give some positivity. I think our world now more than ever needs to smile and needs to, uh, lift one another up. So, and I'm all, all about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, super. Hey, I want to jump back in time a little more into your racing okay. days. Uh, you mentioned Dave Scott. Uh, he was a pretty important part of, of your racing days. Uh, he coached you for a couple of years or what was your interaction with Dave as a coach? Yeah, uh, Dave's great. He, so back in 2000, I first turned pro in 2000. I was living in Austin and I wanted a coach. I knew I needed a coach. I'd been in the sport for about seven years, eight years at that time, fully uncoached, like most of us were in the 90s. And 2000 came around, I turned pro. I had a successful amateur season that last year. And and uh, my mom said, you know what? She gave me a birthday present at the end of that year. So I'm going to buy Dave Scott coaching wow, for a season is... or for six months or something. I said, oh, gosh, this is the best gift ever. You know, I'm broke. And Dave lives in Boulder. I live in Austin. It was all virtual. I got phone calls and spreadsheets from him <laughs> every every week. And he, and it was, it was formative, right? Because I learned a whole new approach. And a, fu- a funny story, I'll never forget this because now the joke is, 
if, if things aren't going well, try doing what your coach said, right. Or something, there's that, mm-hmm. that ongoing joke in coaching. And when I first started with Dave, I, it took me about six weeks or so before I could f- fully complete one of his first weeks, like fully wow. complete it, the running, I could always do all the cycling and the, and the swimming, but I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't do it. I couldn't finish it. I remember it was victory when I first finished his program. Cause he just, <laughs> he was very reasonable, but it was a lot more running I was used to. So so we started in 2000. I I, tra- I trained with him for a year or two, and then I took a, uh, two years, and then I took a break because I couldn't afford it. And I I moved to Boulder with my wife from Austin. We came here. We were girlfriend boyfriend at the time, and Dave was luckily here. And that was a lot of why I came was it was the epicenter. Well, it wasn't really the epicenter, <laughs> as you know. In the early 00, it was it was sort of a faded. It, it was in the 90s, and there are a handful of athletes here for sure and of pros. But we came here. And Dave invited me to swim with them. He said, come swim with, with us at, at Flatiron Athletic Club. Come swim with Simon Lessing, Matt Reed, and, and, and we'll just do a little swimming together, the four of us. Well, they, they kicked my butt anyway, and, and I did that. And I, and I sort of went through a season where I realized I just I – all of 2002, Dirk, I was worthless as a pro. I, I had injury, fell off my bike, couldn't, couldn't race, didn't make it. I made about 600 bucks that year. <laughs> and – and I was like, I have to go back to Dave. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that because it's my third year of pro racing. I was suffering. I was in a new town, no money. I'm broke. I'm living the full on like destitute pro lifestyle, working at Fleet Feet yep. a couple hours to make some cash, tutoring. Amanda's working. You know, we're struggling from a financial standpoint. And then I hired Dave again, and he just was the – we clicked really well. I really, really agree with his – I mean, we just get along very well, and I like his style. So, 2003, I hired him back, and he had and he and he trained me, gave me so much confidence in his training that that year I I just broke through. I I, I followed his program. I trained with him in person, and I I took podium at a 70.3, and then five weeks later I won an Ironman, my first Ironman, and then uh, four months later I got my first top ten in Kona, and it was. It was like, oh man, those were the sweet days for me and the Dave Scott training program. We had a group, and and it was just, yeah, I learned immensely from from Dave in that in that window. How about the biggest mistake you've ever made in a race, and maybe a lesson you learned from it? Oof. Oh, I've made some big mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I have made some big mistakes racing. I uh, and this, I'll talk for a long time if I tell them all, but. <laughs> Um, one, I'll say, I'll say that one of the, one of the biggest mistakes that I, I don't know, this is kind of profound, but like in two, in 2007 and eight, I got, I got ninth place in Hawaii, ninth in 07, ninth in 08. I said, I am coming back here in 09 to go top three, really top five or top three. And I believed I had the tools to do it. And I changed everything in 09, which again, that in and of itself was a little bit foolish. I, I watched that now going, well, <laughs> why did I change everything? I was so, I didn't need to change everything. I needed to just get a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I changed everything and I, I went at that race so hard. My training season, I was, I got very greedy. So this wasn't in the race, but I got, I saw massive gains on the bike. I started training with a power meter and seeing all these huge gains. And I, I just went too deep in my training and didn't race an Ironman that year. And so I just, I went into that race. And then when I got into that race, it was one of the first times I ever, I had, I didn't have 
really that many bad Konas. And I was really just, I didn't have, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what happened to me. I just felt very, very tired. Mm-hmm. I just felt very bad. I, I was underrested. You know, I was overtrained. I was tapped out. And that was, and so did that mistake happen in the race? No, it happened right. all year probably. But the way I dealt with that, I just, I finished, uh, which I'm proud of, but I just, I couldn't, um, I, I, I just, I couldn't get the the ship turned around ever. You know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't write the, the vessel. I just, I did, I couldn't even go average, you know, it's just like, I feel so bad. I, I kind of, as much as you can give up and still finish, I just gave up that day right. and, and was like, oh, I don't have the tools. And that was never me. So I look back on that year. And so to top that off, I, I, I'd say this is where I get a little deep. I told myself that year, if I don't go top three or five, if I get ninth again, I'm out. Like, I, I don't need to race again. I, I want to win this race. I want to go podium. If I can't, then let me go win a bunch of other cool races and, and try my hand elsewhere. And I didn't, I tanked it and I didn't listen. And this is the typical athlete. This is like, I was so in it that I raced. I did. I, I really, I really could have walked away then. I, I just, I didn't. I went back the next year and had an average race. I went back two more years. I went three times after that Dirk and just kept racing very average. Cause you know, I was done and I just, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. And uh, right. so that was kind of like, I don't know if that's a mistake, if that counts, but to me, that would be one of the, the uh, big lessons that is it's glaring after the fact seems super obvious now, uh, 10 years on. Yeah. Maybe little changes have, can have bigger effects than reaching for everything under the uh, sun to change. Like, here's an example, and I don't, I hope this doesn't happen. But like, Tim O'Donnell, he was second in yeah. Kona last year with a sub eight performance, phenomenal, the best he's ever raced, bar none. And I've spoken to him personally about that. He agrees. Now, here's the mistake if he, if, if he goes after it with this whole new approach, like, I was so close to winning, I'm going to go nuts, I'm going to ride more, I'm going to run more, I'm, I'm going to take that program I did, but double the run mileage right. or triple to this or double, like, no, the answer is, you were the best ever. So, so kind of craft something that puts you in that position again, little tweaks to do this to do just a little better. You know, a little better. Just last year, he was fresh because he rode a ton and he didn't run. So maybe that was part of it. So learn that lesson. Yeah. And and we as athletes do not do that. We as coaches are typically very good <laughs> at observing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I've heard coaches talk about too, you know, the smart ones that, you know, it's during the peak period when you can do everything wrong. <laughs> you know, yes. it's so easy just to do things wrong, you know, where I've heard you talk in the past about finding the consistency and that's within not just pro athletes, but any one of your athletes finding that routine that creates that consistency year over year. Yes, definitely. And, and thanks for bringing that up. I agree. I I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. It's to me, it's consistency from year to year to year is, uh, is huge for developing the most out of yourself, but also uh, consistency day to day. And and if anybody that hires me on as a new coach and they say, what's your philosophy? What's your strategy? How do you train? What's your blah, blah. They always have that same question. And really it's kind of a lame answer, but the most important thing is let's not do too much that it interrupts consistency and let's not do too little that it interrupts consistency of progress. Right. right. And, and it's just find out what makes that athlete continue to go without without forced interruption of, of from injury or too tired or, or any of that, just 
what is your your path to consistency? Yeah, that's great. Hey, one last question here. We could talk. I, I could talk forever with you, but uh, you know, how about the proudest result? And it may not be Ironman or you know, within within your racing career, what was that proudest result? Maybe a lesson learned from that. That's a great question. Thanks. I, 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 and this is what I can tell you right now, 10, you know, well, let's see, I retired in 2013 from pro racing. So it's been seven going on seven years. My answer will be different today than it was a year ago, 10 years ago, or after my maturity. First win. Yep. Um, and, and that's, yeah. And perspective, right? So I'll give you this answer. I gave it just recently on Facebook in a little bit of comment. Uh, so there's a race that I love so much. It's called Buffalo Springs. And it was a Ironman 70.3. It was a half Ironman before that. It's it's one of the toughest old school races that I've ever done. It it scared me, Dirk, before I ever did it. I, I was afraid <laughs> to do it for years. I, I literally like it's the best I, kind I respected of race. it. I was, right? It was a bet exactly. It's why I raced is that challenge. But I had to build up. So the the proudest race I ever had, and this is this is no BS. This is from from me straight up right now. In two in nineteen. Uh, in 2001, I won the race and I had gone second in 99 and 2000 and it meant so much to me. I won the race in 2001 and I was so happy because, you know, it was like, oh, I'm on top. And then, and that wasn't my proudest moment. I was psyched, but it was, I thought, oh, on to bigger things. In 2002, I went back there and this was this year where I was really struggling as a pro. I moved to Colorado and I went back to that race. And I thought I was going to just defend my title and walk away this big hero faster than ever, two-time <laughs> winner, um, going back to Texas where I chop, you know, cut my teeth. And I'm going to go to Buffalo Springs and light people up and, and win, you know, win 500 bucks. Um, and Mike and Marty Greer put this race on and they, they were psyched. They welcomed me. I got there and I was racing this race, Dirk, and halfway through the bike ride, I crashed and I hit the ground super hard. Uh, Chris Lee hit the ground right in front of me. He was racing that day, uh, Australian athlete. Mm. We, I hit the ground so hard and I don't, and it, I don't, I just, it was so hot. There was this, this melted surface of, it was the hottest race I've ever done, but I met, mm-hmm. I hit the surface, I hit the ground on this slick surface and I got up and I just, I got back on my bike and I won't go through the long version. The point is I, I, I limped my way through the bike ride and, um, and I got off the bike and I rode okay. Actually, it was weird how it didn't, it just, it didn't slow me down that much. But as soon as I got onto the run, I, I was limping and I knew I had damaged my hip in this and I was limping along and I got to about mile. I said, if I can get to a mile and a half running, which is where the sprint turnaround was, I'll walk. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I was too proud to, to walk. And I, and so anyway, long story short, I walked this whole damn thing, 13 miles. I ran 1.5 miles and then I walked and it wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. I tell you that right now it was not the smartest thing. I, I couldn't, I was hurt for a long time after that right? and I was too stubborn to drop out. But I'll tell you what, from that year, it took me eight hours to finish that race. And I got out there and I was able to, I was able to be there for like every athlete that I had raced against, that I had beaten the year before, that I had trained with that, you know, I had used that I started to sport with. Like it was just this amazing, yeah, I recognized it in the moment as a triumphant moment, but the way that I felt and the way that, that people told me they felt by seeing me do that and just, and I mean, just finishing what I started. Uh, and, and to this day, like I get, I get, you know, Mike Greer just messaged me the other day and he, he mentioned it and it's, that was my proudest moment because 
it, it stuck. Like it was, it was truly me. And so that above all the victories or any fast times, that was my day. Yeah. Well, I, that's honorable. I think that's the essence of the sport, you know, trying to go out and, yep. and, and finish what you, what you started, no matter what the actual time may be at the finish line is, uh, definitely a part of, you know, the spirit of the sport. So that definitely lived it that yes, day. Sir. Hey, Michael, thank you so much. We're going to see you online plenty. I'm sure, uh, with all this VR racing and hopefully we're back to normal soon. And, um, I'll see you and hopefully have a coffee beer with you in Kona later in the year. <laughs> oh, I hope so, Derek. That'd be great. I appreciate you guys having me on and I appreciate all you guys being out there listening to us and y'all be out, be safe out there, take care of one another and stay positive and keep smiling. I, I have to say, yeah. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for listening to the training peaks coach cast. Find more episodes at trainingpeaks.com forward slash podcasts and follow us on Spotify, Apple music, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please follow us and add a review. If you're ready to take your training to the next level, we are here to help. Visit Training Peaks today to find an expert who can help you achieve your goals with confidence. We even have a coach match service to help you find your perfect coach. We have tens of thousands of coaches spread across the globe, so no doubt there is one in your neck of the woods. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, stay safe, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.